Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Fearless, loves contact, lives for being able to knock somebody backward for the extra yard. But he will not get the best of the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend. Good morning to you on that happy note. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. And this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. It's Steelers and Titans Sunday at 1.02 p.m. Eastern Time in Nashville. I'll be flying down there tomorrow to cover the game myself. Really looking forward to it. I mean, this is this is a genuinely intriguing matchup in that there are different elements to both teams from the strengths and weaknesses standpoint that I don't think either has encountered yet. It's also, incredible statistic here, only the sixth time in the Super Bowl era that teams with perfect records will have met this late in an NFL season. I know, crazy, right? But if you think about it a little bit, it, it, it makes some sense because to have a perfect record this late in the season, you're usually including divisional games. And divisional teams will play each other and so forth. So that obviously hasn't been the case on the Pittsburgh end other than beating Cleveland. So yeah, this is this is this is fun. Uh, I, the whole country is gonna be watching this and it's a Sunday one o'clock or two. you know they don't have to put all the marquee games on prime time. It's okay to get excited about a game that's on at one o'clock. As well, This is going to be good. The part of this matchup that will let people down will be Derrick Henry versus the Steelers. I'm not going to be an idiot and suggest that he's not going to get any yards or that they're going to do what they did to Saquon Barkley. That's not possible. He's too big, too strong, too fast. But I am going to suggest that the one thing that allows Henry to do the greatest damage against an opponent will not be in play in this particular game. And to understand why, I first want you to hear what Keith Butler had to say to us yesterday in glowing about Henry really the way all of the Steelers have all week long. We know we got a real challenge ahead of us uh, this weekend. Uh, and to me, as a player, when I played, that was the fun thing about playing the National Football League. Every every week you had somebody that uh, is going to challenge you. And uh, he's certainly going to do that in terms of our run defense. And, and uh, you know, they're second in the league in offense. And, 
you know, we're second in the league in defense, so it's going to be a good football game, and, and we we got to bring our best game to the table. Good stuff, right? And and fair and completely accurate. Henry is all of those things that Butler said, that Cam Hayward said, that Minka Fitzpatrick said, that Bud Dupree said, that earlier in the week Mike Tomlin said. If anything, I'm a guy who has taken Derrick Henry's side in any debate, formal or otherwise, over the past couple of years when people are discussing the NFL's best running back. Uh, you know, people will occasionally talk about Ezekiel Elliott, Nick Chubbs, other guys. No, no. The best running back is right there on the Tennessee Titans roster. It's Derrick Henry. No one can match the things that he does right now on a football field at that position. And I'm not going to be an idiot and suggest that all of a sudden, well, he's facing the Steelers, so let's start looking for reasons to cut him down or whatever. No, that's not what this is about. That's not where I'm headed here. He's going to do his damage. This isn't a running back that you can just shut down by throwing numbers at him. He's going to break through tackles. He's going to create his own yards, even if other situations around him aren't optimal. But he's not going to beat the Steelers. Because to understand fully how Henry does his damage, you have to think back to what Jerome Bettis was doing during his peak in Pittsburgh. They're not exactly the same type of back. Jerome, you know, of course, had the, uh, what's a nice way to say it, wider body, (laughs) you know, the big butt and everything, and he was just bowling through guys. Uh, Henry's not exactly that. Henry has other options to his game, and, and he can turn a corner. He can pull away, as we saw in that Houston game last week, from sprinting defensive backs. And you have to be wary of that in addition to bracing yourself for a big boom of a tackle. And that's not all that easy for even a very good open field tackler to do. You don't want to do both. You know what I'm saying? If if you're facing a shifty guy, you're bracing yourself to stay quick on your feet. But if you're bracing yourself for a tank and then the tank makes a hard turn, eh, different, right? The number one thing that Henry does to hurt the opponent is literally hurt the opponent. He runs right at them. He wears them down. This is what Jerome would do. This was Jerome and the entire Steelers offense. I'm sure Jerome would have corrected me as soon as he heard me say that because it would start with his blockers. It would include his fullback, principally Dan Kreider at the time, who were just punishing. They were bruising. And by the time you reached, I don't know, late in the third quarter, maybe a little bit into the fourth, the other team, their defense just got a little bit tired of it. You know, you get tired of getting hit in the mouth. Nobody likes that. I don't care how tough you are. Well, the Steelers are built not only on a roster and talent 
that's capable of stopping the run, not only do they have the eagerness and the fire and the energy, and they enjoy stopping the run, they're built on a culture of it. Think about it this way. When you watch games at the Steelers' play, and you'll see them getting dinked and dunked a lot by a quarterback who's just kind of taking what they give. I'm trying to think of a good example from this season, but they haven't faced very many good offenses. Probably the, the one that would stand out, believe it or not, is Philadelphia. Because Carson Wentz was so successful on third down, and other than Miles Sanders breaking the one monster run, the Eagles didn't get any ground yardage to speak of. But the Steelers, you have to understand, conceded that. They will line up philosophically, culturally, to use that word again, aiming first and foremost at taking away your run. It doesn't matter what else you've got. It doesn't matter who else you've got, what their resume is, how many cereal boxes they're on, any of that. They want to stop the run. So even though you're facing a Philadelphia team with Carson Wentz, who, by the way, that day was really, really good, and just as an oh, by the way, threw a beautiful game-winning touchdown pass last night in an otherwise dismal 22-21 Philadelphia victory over the Giants. NFC East, baby. They're actually in first place at 2-4-1. and one. What was I talking about here? Oh, yeah, Wentz was really good. Wentz was really good. And I'm sure for Steelers fans it was frustrating to watch that. You think, what are they doing? I mean, just, you know, take some of that away. Don't let them have that. Well, they don't want to. As we saw last week against Cleveland, the Steelers were infinitely better on third down. Browns were one of 12. But Kareem Hunt got nowhere. A ground game, an understanding that Chubb wasn't part of it, but a ground game that had averaged 188 yards a game was virtually shut down. In the Steelers' eyes, if they take away your run, they have reduced you to a single dimension. doesn't mean they don't want to stop that dimension. But it does mean that life just became a whole lot less complex. So they're thinking, in facing the Browns, if we stop Kareem Hunt, A, we take away some of who they are and what fuels them, some of their confidence. You kind of suck some of the life out of an offensive line by doing that. Offensive linemen tend to be built on some machismo where they like to feel like they're rolling downhill and blocking for a running back. And then you just tell the quarterback, essentially, you beat us. Go ahead. Try to beat us. Because we've got other ways to stop that, too. We might not stop you all the time, but we're stopping that running back. The Steelers don't need a gimmick to stop Derrick Henry. They need the culture that's in place. They need the people that they have up front in Cam Hayward, 
Stefan Tuitt, and Tyson Alualu. They need an insanely obsessed run stopper in Vince Williams, who can't stand if they give up even a yard on the ground. And even after a big victory, will complain bitterly about some meaningless fourth-yard run that somebody got that ran up somebody's stats against them. You have T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, and we think of them almost entirely, uh, and I think mistakenly, as pass rushers. They're both very good at holding the edge on the run. Uh, Bud Dupree might be one of the very best in the league at it. There aren't many things you'd say that Bud is better than TJ at. I think Bud is better than TJ at this. You have guys that are not at any point in the game, third quarter, fourth quarter, overtime like Tennessee went to last week when it was really obvious that Derrick Henry was going to go right down the field on Houston, and he did to win the game because they have anything left. The Steelers aren't going to be that team. They're going to be, if anything, the aggressors when it comes to Henry. They're going to hit him. They're going to go out of their way to hit him. It's not going to be any fun, but they have the people to do that. They have the defensive coordinator to instill that mindset on a daily basis and in the classroom, and you'd better believe they have a head coach who believes in it. You can find faults in Mike Tomlin's tenure. You will not be able to do any such thing when it comes, in general, to run-stopping. I'll ask you this. What's the last time that you can recall a running back basically having their way against the Steelers? Yeah, I know. Leonard Fournette. That's about it. Give me another one. Give me another one. You have to go all the way back to Fred Taylor with the Jaguars? What else you got? What else you got? I've got Leonard Fournette, and I've got Leonard Fournette doing it once. I don't know what was wrong with the Steelers' front that day. I've actually brought that up even years after the fact. What went wrong that day? Most of those guys can't even explain it. Cam Hayward was completely ineffective. Uh, they had... You'll recall Tyler Matikavich in the middle, and it was just, no, no. He was getting steamrolled. Just a bad, bad day. But give me another one. Give me somebody else. Ezekiel Elliott, he had a decent game. He broke through for the one touchdown run at Heinz Field to win a game for the Cowboys. I'm kind of just winging it here off the top of my head, but I don't have a, a lot. And that's because this culture is in place. If you want to fear someone on the Tennessee side going into this game, do so with Ryan Tannehill. He's been that good. He really has. You don't come up with a 110 quarterback rating by accident. You don't come up with the best statistics of any quarterback in the NFL under pressure unless you're doing a lot of things right. But... I'll also throw this in. Tannehill hasn't faced any defense, anything like this. Nor has he faced pressure, anything like 
what he's about to face. So yeah, if you're the Steelers defense, focus on Henry, do what you can. You're not gonna shut him down, but you can slow him down, wear him down, you can hit him, hit him in the mouth. There, do that thing that you normally do to quarterbacks. When we come back, a Penguins topic that is near and dear to my heart. Welcome back. As promised, a little bit of Penguins here. They're not much in the news now. Jim Rutherford's basically wrapped up his roster. He hasn't declared it as such, but it didn't take much to see that the signing of Cody Ceci as a right-handed defenseman was going to round out the defense. And therefore, you know, what was left? Well, I'm not going to lie. There was a part of me that still wanted to see Dominic Simon come back. And that isn't going to happen now. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp, who filed medical malpractice claims. LGKG has been AV rated, which is the highest rating a law firm can receive for legal ability and ethics. They've also been designated as super lawyers for over 15 years. That is a rare combination in that business. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City, and you can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling them at 888-842-5454. Yeah, Dom signed with the Calgary Flames yesterday, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I can feel your pain. I, I can feel... <laughs> <laughs> the emotion. Look, he wasn't very popular with a big chunk of the of the local fan base, to say the least. Most of that, as is often the case with anyone who gets scapegoated, isn't his fault. Jack Johnson didn't ask for the mega contract, and Dominic Simone didn't ask to be put on the first line with Sidney Crosby, which was really his only crime. I think if Dom had stayed here as a third or fourth liner, you wouldn't have had any complaints about him at any point. But that wasn't how it worked. Dom was put on the first line. Dom was put in a role of skating alongside a living legend, the preeminent player of his generation in Sidney Crosby. And as such, he's expected to score goals. And he just doesn't have that finishing touch. I'm not sure that he'll ever have that finishing touch. In fact, as I've shared with readers of my work in the past, I've often doubted if Dom's even interested in acquiring or working toward a finishing touch. And yes, such a thing is possible because Brian Rust has done it. Other players have done it, where you just work relentlessly on just finish, 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 release, 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 accuracy, accuracy, accuracy. Dom's never done any of that. Like he, when I would ask him, Dom, what did you do this summer? Did you just like shoot a million hockey pucks out of a bucket and try to get, you know, sharper? 
nah, I just did my thing. Well, Dom's thing was being generally a very, very good hockey player and very highly skilled. And I'm glad he was here. Not just because I really enjoyed being around him. I'm glad he was here because I think to some extent, Pittsburgh's hockey fans needed to experience one of these modern analytical debates to understand, uh, to try to appreciate a little more fully that it's not always just about scoring, that it's not about old-school stats like plus-minus that don't tell you much of anything. What Dominic Simone did so well in Pittsburgh was maintaining possession of the puck. Now, I can imagine that, you know, a huge percentage of anybody that hears me say something like that goes, okay, and? Well, there's more to the game than just making the last pass or the finishing shot. One thing that's been discovered at the risk of using too dramatic a term through advanced analytics in hockey is the value of just having the puck. If you, as a hockey team, have the puck and you manage it properly, to borrow a Mike Sullivanism, and you distribute it smartly, the other team's chances of scoring in that situation are exactly zero. It's a form, basically, of defending. The concept itself is anything but new. I guarantee you, if you went to a hockey game back in time in 1940, you would have had those guys on the bench talking about making sure that you don't do dumb things or whatever else. And then you get to the 70s and the the inf- the influx, the integration of Soviet-slash-Russian hockey that occurred in that decade and then the next one. But especially with those old USSR teams, the big red machine, the one that the, lost in the Miracle on Ice, and those teams were all about that. They would just tick, 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 right up the ice. Or if they didn't like what they'd see, they'd turn around and go back the other direction. And all the Americans and Canadians are looking at them like, what are they doing? Ha, 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 how ridiculous. But then they figured out, hey, this, this actually works. Instead of sending lines, forward lines and defense pairings over the board, they sent out units of five because all five knew how to manage the puck, where the other person was going to be. It was more like chess. Maybe they went a little too far with it, whatever. But in the modern game and in the modern analytics, we're now able to count and to track data. I feel it still has a long way to go yet, and we still need to have uh, full-bore electronic puck tracking to really gauge possession metrics. But for the ones we have, Simone was outstanding at it. 
he'd end the game with the best advanced analytics on the team. Crazy, right? But then you go back, and before him, Chris Kunitz was that guy. And you wonder, how did Kunitz stick around in the league so long? I mean, he wasn't scoring all that many goals at the end. And, oh, well, maybe he's just Sid's friend. Why is he still on the first line? But it was for the same reason. He was sustaining the attack. Sidney Crosby is always going to be at his most dangerous, duh, when he has the puck. When he doesn't, he might as well be the linesman. So you want people who can get him the puck. You want people who can make sure that the other team doesn't have the puck. Kunitz was excellent at that. Dom arguably was better than Kunitz at this, as the numbers will illustrate. And that's a heck of a thing. Again, I'm not going to dispute having seven goals, as Dom did last season, doesn't cut it for somebody who's getting top six ice time, whether he's on a power play or whatever, which he wasn't, obviously. But I hope that the next time the Penguins have a player like this, and right now, by the way, they currently don't, and I think it's going to hurt them on that third and fourth lines, and we'll see whether or not Jim Rutherford made the right move in letting him go and bringing others in, like Evan Rodriguez, like Mark Jankowski. We'll see. We'll see. But whenever the next Dom does come in, I hope that fans here will remember the good part of his game and what it'll mean moving forward as not just the Penguins, but all teams in the NHL further embrace the importance of possessing the puck. Stay with me. One more. Welcome back. I'm going to leave you with a little bit of baseball for the week. The Pirates are down in Florida right now, engaged in instructional league ball. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's basically you just bring all your prospects in. Um, it's a second bookend spring training, if you will. Uh, you have everybody in the fold. Uh, they're done with their minor league seasons, which of course didn't happen at all this year. And you do some additional teaching. You give them things to work on in the offseason uh, feedback. And there are some games the Pirates will play against, for example, the Orioles right down the road in Sarasota and other teams that are in that area. This portion of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our good friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Their current program is called Grow, Share, Thrive. And you can find out all the details about it at growsharethrive.org. Put simply, if you donate $10 to the food bank, an additional $5 for a limited time will be thrown in. So what you give comes with a little bit extra all it takes is $1 to provide enough food for up to five meals. It actually works like that. It's amazing. I hope that 
in seeing some of these prospects down there that Charrington, A, finds some surprises, something he feels like he can work with that's more than might be visible uh, to a lot of us based on what was left behind by Neil Huntington and Kyle Stark. I hope he has a chance to look at guys who might have underperformed uh, in the recent past. Kids, I should say, not guys. These are children. We see some of these, they come in so young, all skinny and everything. And maybe find, you know, the next Tyler Glass now, the next uh, players in that mold, you know? that that That's... That's going to matter so much for this team. But what I want more than anything out of that, what I hope happens out of that, is that Charrington starts looking at that system and thinking, you know what, maybe this, this, and this, and this makes some sense. And I'm going to start feeling this a little bit more, and I want more. I want more. I'm not going to go pounding a desk and suggest the Pirates should go into some full-blast rebuild because, to keep repeating myself on this subject, I don't want to trade the guys that Charrington could trade right now at what, in almost every case, would be lowest possible value. So I don't want to trade Josh Bell after he was just one of the worst everyday first basemen when you factor in offense, defense, and everything in all of the majors. I want to get maximum hot emotional value. You know what I'm talking about? Another contender comes up and says, wow, Josh Bell, he's just hit five homers for you in a week. We could really use that in our lineup. And then they act rashly, and they do something Huntington slash Stark-esque and give you way more than what you should get. That's what Ben Charrington should be doing with those guys. So I'm not advocating for that. As much as that would be nice, as much as it would have been convenient and helpful if the 2020 Pirates hadn't been a collective disaster, you can't undo that magically. You can't just go to other GMs and say, hey, but Josh Bell and Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman, they were all great in 2019. It's not going to work. You're not going to get best value. But... I would just like to see Charrington and to hear from Charrington that he's starting to move in that direction because that's where he's headed one way or another at one point or another. Please make no mistake about that. Just because the Pirates haven't declared openly some uh, capital R rebuilding doesn't mean that Charrington's got any goal other than to build up this minor league system into something special. Both from the acquisition and the instructional standpoint. And the sooner that happens, the sooner that switch gets flipped, the healthier the franchise will be. Not just now, but in the long term. Thanks so much for listening to this. And all week, the next show will come to you from Nashville. Your front door, your car.
your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.